All right. Well, hello again. That's uh, exciting news. I got a uh, pretty good opportunity to, to meet with Kurt um, and Leah pretty expensive, uh, extensively. We, uh, ex- yeah. uh, we drilled him at the Christmas party until almost midnight, um, asking him theological, doctrinal questions. What, what, where's his heart at? What are, what are the things that he's passionate about? Um, to the point that I thought Kyle and Tia were just going to go to bed, toss lock the door on our way out. Um, but yeah, I'm really excited about this. I'm excited for him to, to come in. And so definitely be praying for him and his family. He's got five kids. And so that's a lot of people to move halfway across the entire country. And so be praying for uh, that transition for them. I know that uh, they're going to fit in really well here. Something that, uh, that they both expressed uh, is that they want uh, community, authentic Christian community. Um, and I think that we have that here. Um, and so I'm really excited for those guys to get, to get plugged in here um, and uh, to get to know you guys. And I'm excited to get to know them. And so um, today uh, is, you're going to get out of here early. Let's just, let's just put it that way. Um, unfortunately, uh, we had to postpone the uh, kids' Christmas program. I know that these kids have been working so hard on that. And Josh and Betty Ann have been putting so much work in to this to the point that, I mean, we've got lighting, we've got scenes, and we've got all kinds of stuff that uh, you guys will get to see. We're going to make sure that you guys get to see this because they have really been uh, working so hard at this. And so with that said... Um, I planned on that taking a good chunk of time, and so um, I, I wrote somewhat of a shorter uh, sermon, just kind of uh, preparing us for uh, Christmas Eve. So good news for you guys, you will get out of here um, a little bit early this morning. So we're going to be in Romans uh, chapter 5, and I'm going to walk through verses uh, 12 through 19. But while you're turning there, um, I'm going to open up with uh, a section of text from an Old Testament book. The book of Malachi, uh, chapter 4, uh, verses 4 through 6 says, Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Lest I come and strike the land with the decree of utter destruction. And then 400 years of silence. So my text today isn't in Malachi, so I'm going to spare you a ton of commentary. But I would like to take this and put this into context, if you will. So this message uh, from God through Malachi is for the Israelites. And the Israelites were a people that despite all that God had done for these people, they had turned from him. And if you read the book of Malachi, you can read about the uh, mockery that they had made of sacrificial offerings. The priests were teaching a false doctrine. Uh, The Israelites were marrying outside of the faith and marrying pagan uh, women who believed in pagan gods, which infiltrated their faith and created this, this hybrid of a faith that was just dishonoring to Yahweh. And so then God calls the prophet Malachi to come and deliver them at first what looks like a message of hope, but because he's prophesying the greatest moment in our history. 
But then he follows that up with this message, a message that would send chills down the spine of even the most faithful servant. And so Malachi steps up to the mic and drops this line, lest I come and strike the land with the decree of utter destruction. And so a first century Israelite would, would probably hear this and think it's time to take shelter because the Lord is coming and he's coming with a wrath that's unescapable and he's coming quickly. And we, as a North American evangelical, can read this 2,000 years later and understand how they would come to this assumption. However, generation after generation after generation after generation would come to pass before any of these things would come to fruition. And seconds turn to minutes, and minutes turn to hours, hours turn to days, days to weeks, weeks to months, months to years, years to decades, and decades to centuries. And so picture this for just, for just a moment. 400 years, four centuries after Malachi spoke, two and a half thousand years ago in our history, there's a people group going on about their daily lives in this moment in history as if it's just another day. They have not a clue that a little less than a week, the most miraculous day is about to happen. So here's what it looked like for a first century Israelite. They, they typically lived in villages, and at the hub of these villages was a marketplace. So shop owners would, would get up in the morning, and they would head off to their shops and to, go, to go sell uh, their, their produce or their household items or handmade garments or what have you. And family structures usually consisted of uh, uh, women taking care of children and home, while husbands would work the land um, and so mothers and, and wives were waking up in the morning and they, they were making breakfast and they were sending it out the door with dad as he was uh, off to work. And then the children would sit at the table and patiently wait for the day's school lessons. It looked like a pretty typical day. They had not a clue what was coming in the very near future. Well, here's what was happening. People, even the faithful, were losing hope. And things got really complex. At the time of Malachi, Israel was under Persian control. And they were allowed to practice their religion openly for the most part without getting too much backlash. But then a guy named Alexander the Great, you've probably heard of him, he came in and crushed the Persians. And he was into this uh, Greek mythology and, and philosophy. And so this became the, the regular practice and was even enforced uh, in some areas. But the Jewish were still allowed to practice. They were just, uh, they did it a little bit more on the hush. But this is where we learn in the New Testament about uh, the, the two different uh, Jew sects, of the Jewish uh, sections of people, is you have the Hebrews, which we know well, and then you have the Hellenists, which were the Greek Jews. And this is when this, this started to happen, because as Greeks came in and they were converted, uh, they, they would start to uh, 
intermingle, if you will. And so eventually, Alexander died, and then Judea was ruled by uh, uh, several successors past him, but then eventually King Herod took over. And that's when things got really ugly. And Rome began to tax the Jews, and they actually turned the, the Jewish religion into a business. And eventually two different groups of people split off. And we know them as the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now the Pharisees took the Mosaic law and they added to it. And eventually they lost complete sight of the Mosaic law and put their own uh, human created law above that and began to follow that and enforce it to the point of uh, persecution to where they would, they would, they would break people uh, by taxing them through it. And then you have the Sadducees who were rich because they created the Sanhedrin. And now the Sanhedrin only believed in the Mosaic text. They didn't believe that there was uh, a Messiah coming at all. And so they threw out every other book of the Old Testament. They took the Mosaic law and enforced it to the point of uh, persecution, imprisonment, and then death. And so what began to happen was even the pagans began to embrace this polytheistic idea of who God was. There is a God of, of all things. There is a God of the sun, a God of the moon, a God of the earth, a God of love. And then the Romans and the Greeks continued to lean towards their Greek mythology and their, their philosophies of life and, and who God was. Then there was a group of people within these other two groups of people, and those were the Jewish, and they were holding on. And we look at these guys and you go, man, I think I'd lose hope too. And in fact, it's 2016. I tend to go on about my day in my doubt as if it's just another day. Well knowing that the promises of God have already been fulfilled. And that I can take God for his word because he has already done what he says he's going to do. And I just go on my day, about my day, as if it's just another day. And so for you and I, it looks a little different because it's 2016. And for me... <laughs> This looks like at seven o'clock in the morning. I don't care what day it is, if it's the weekend or if it's a weekday, I hear coming from my son's bed. Dad, dad, what? Mom, mama. And I just lay there in utter disbelief that it's already time to get up. And so I, I peel myself out from under my blankets. Today, days like today, where it's so cold outside, you've got the heater cranked. I said, Tia, wow, that's awesome. That's hilarious. She's covering her face with a... <laughs> and so I stumble to the restroom. I trip over a couple of gates on my way to the Keurig. I mutter a couple of uh, Christian profanities under my breath. We don't cuss here. And so then I get dressed... I come to the office, and for me, most days are, are awesome. There are some days that, that are really hard uh, to bear, to, to get through. 
And then I come home, and this is, looks different for all of us, so I'll leave this vague, but you do the family thing, right? You hang out with your kids or your wife or your husband. <laughs> uh, and then eventually you find yourself going to bed, and you wake up the next day and you repeat. Sounds like a pretty typical day for us. We've got it pretty well made here. But 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 2 says, For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. And in the book of Revelation, it says, Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake. And Matthew 24, 36 says, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the Son. So what this is saying is that the Son of God knows not when the Father wills his very own triumphant return. Yet here we are going on about our lives as if today is just another day. Much like the Israelite people some 2,000 years ago. And so today, there's a few things that I would like. My prayer is that, that we're reminded of who God is and what God has done and then be encouraged by that. Because once we're reminded of who God is and that God is a God of his word, then we should be encouraged as we, 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 we wander through this haziness of life, especially in this season where it feels like we've got to split ourselves in thirds and fours in order to, to be everywhere at one time. And then lastly, I would just like for us to take a moment this morning and to be in awe of God. To be in awe for what is about to happen for these people while celebrating on the other side of the Advent of what that means for us. And Pastor Kurt said it beautifully last week. These people are saying, oh, when he comes. But we are on the other side of the cross. And we get to say, he has come. And so this morning, as we're reminded and we're encouraged, encouraged, let's be in awe of how God works and who God is. We're going to take a look at that in the book of Romans, chapter 5, this morning. So if you haven't turned there, go ahead and turn there. And I'm going to pray for us this morning. Father, we thank you. We thank you that we still have been able to come and gather here in your presence this morning. It is so cold outside. And this weather has been crazy, but I'm so encouraged by the commitment of the people that have come here today to hear a word from you, to worship you this morning, and to get to know you deeper and grow with you. So Lord, we thank you so much for this opportunity. And God, as we look at the text this morning, would you speak to our hearts? Would you move me out of the way as I continuously pray, God, and that these things that I have prepared, that these things are from you, God, and if we have to throw it all out, let's do that this morning, because there is nothing that I can say that can add to what you have already said. And Father, this is a beautiful season as we get to celebrate and recognize the coming of your son, and that means so much for us. And so let us this morning, as we're reminded and encouraged in that, 
Let us be in awe for just a moment because you are truly incredible and you work in ways that are so inspiring. We love you, Lord, and we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So picking up in Romans 5, chapter 12, or verse 12. It says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through the one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For sin was indeed in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Let's stop there for a second. You've heard me say this if you've heard me teach. In our Genesis, in the beginning, you and I were created to dwell among the full presence of God, with God. But then sin entered into the equation, which separated us from God, which separated that union, which brought death. Because life stems from the very creator of it. And so these first two verses, here's what this is saying. That because of Adam's sin, you and I are all brought into this world in Adam. We arrive in Adam. This is our condition. This is all of us. We are all in Adam, born in sin, facing death. And the Israelites, all those years ago, were recognizing this very condition. And because there was no intercession, with that death brought wrath, the wrath of God. And so the Israelites were seeking a savior. And if you look back at our opening text, it says, remember the law of my servant Moses, the rules and the statutes I have commanded him. And the Israelites are crying out, oh God, we can't do this. Save us. And so we can look at that text and perhaps come to the conclusion that the reason God wrote these things, or the reason that God spoke these things through Malachi is because for a period of time, the law is all they would have. And that period of time expanded four centuries, 400 years. So this too is our condition 2,000 years later, Gentiles no less, but a people in desperate need of a savior from the death that we have inherited through Adam's sin. And this is why it is so important that we evangelize. Because there is a city full of wavering, doubters, and unbelievers. This is the greatest evangelistic perspective that we can have. Because if they want to doubt and you don't believe in Christ, you don't want to get to know Christ, there is another option. And that's the law. 
Now, mind you, the law is beautiful. It's perfect. It's pure. And we can look at them in the eye and go, we know of only one man to adhere to this said law in all of history. So ironically, you're going to want to get to know him. (laughs) And I will warn you, the more that you get to know him, the more you grow to love him. And then you'll find yourselves knees bent, palms up, accepting the free gift that he has to offer you instead. And so speaking of that free gift, look at verse 15. This is, we're going to go on a ride. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore... As one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now that's a mouthful. And that's such, it's just such a deeply theological text. I talked to Daniel this week and he's really disappointed that I'm not going to break this down, but we could spend hours on some of these verses here. And so, as I prayed and I read, I'm going to try to sum this up for you in one sentence. The first thing I want to look at is, here's what this says, John 8, 11, neither do I condemn you. Go! And from now on, sin no more. So what this says is where one man's sin brought death, one man's obedience brought life. And so the Israelites... In the first century, recognizing their condition, at least the faithful ones, were waiting for this. And here we are, 2,000 years later, what they're waiting for, we have. And not only do we have it, but we have an accurate account of how he did it. How beautiful is that? And so this Christmas, let us be reminded of that. If you look back at verse 8, I really, I really think that these next few verses sum up the verses that he follows up with. Verse 8 says, but God. And I could, I could stop there. That's all we'd need. But Paul elaborates a little more. But God shows his love for us And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Much more than that, 
We also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. And the Israelites were hoping for this. We have received this. We're being reconciled back to the Father by whom we were created to dwell among the full presence of and with, and that springs forth life. So there's a reminder. So let's be encouraged before we part ways this morning. This season for many brings a, a time of darkness. And unfortunately, it's due to loss. My wife and I just suffered through the two year anniversary of the loss of our first child on the eighth. We have so many friends that are going through this that have to bear this type of burden. So because we get to look back while they're looking ahead, let us be encouraged by the very fact that our God is a God of his word in action. We are promised that he will return. We don't know when. It's probably safe to say that 400 years isn't a themed frame of time. But we know that he will return. And only this time when he returns, he's not coming as a baby. He's coming as a triumphant king. And so be encouraged because we get to say he has come. And so we can faithfully say he will come again. God is a God of his word in action. And he has proved that to us even though he hasn't had to. And so next Saturday, join us as we gather in our condition, being born in Adam, a fellowship of sinners, as we celebrate the advent of our Lord, our Savior, our Messiah, Jesus. Because while we all enter into this world the same, we all arrive the same, he has offered us a way out in him. which springs forth life eternal, which springs forth a union of children to their loving Father. And we can lift our eyes with faithful expectation that he will do again what he has already done. And next week we get to recognize and celebrate the very birth of that because the wait is over. Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Let's pray. Father, you are incredibly beautiful and complex. Lord, would you start a fire in our hearts Create a, a zealousness for you, God, that, that would help us to live boldly and to see past the pain and the suffering that's temporarily here on this earth. And help us to be in awe of just how it is that you work, God. 
What a blessing it is to be adopted into your family as your child while we rebelliously push back on you. We shake our fist to the sky because it's not, it's not good enough. Lord, we thank you for your grace and your mercy and for your son, Jesus, who came down here as a humble baby, would be raised up into a man that we would slaughter in order that we might be reconciled to you and adopted into that family. Oh, Lord, thank you. Thank you so much, Father. We are so undeserving. We love you. Use us, Lord, as this time of year brings a lot of curiosity through these doors. Help us to be a beacon of light that shines towards you. We love you, and we pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior, our Messiah, our Lord, and our King. Amen. Be safe getting home, guys.